Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. Hi, this is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Practice Hack of the Week. We've all been told that cramming or mass practice is bad, that we need to space our practice out over time to make sure things stick in long-term memory, and how long, uninterrupted marathon practice sessions aren't as effective or productive as splitting our practice up into smaller, shorter chunks. But a recent study suggests that this might not always be true, that sometimes taking too long of a break between practice sessions could negate all the work we just put in. A team of researchers recruited 46 participants to participate in several days of pitch discrimination training, which was a little like a game I played when I got my first tuner, where I practiced discriminating between 440, 441, and 442 which is not quite as exciting as Minesweeper or Mario Kart, but when you're a middle school kid procrastinating on scales, pretty much anything becomes an appealing alternative. Similarly, the participants in this study were presented with two short tones, one at 1 kilohertz, basically a B that's inching towards a C, and one at a pitch slightly lower than 1 kilohertz. Their task was simply to indicate which of the two was lower. In order to prove that they weren't just guessing, they needed to identify the lower pitch correctly 79% of the time. The ultimate goal of training being to see how far they could lower their discrimination threshold, that is, the difference in frequencies that was required for them to consistently identify the lower tone. Would they be able to notice a 1 hertz difference? 2 hertz? More? Less? Everyone started out with a test to establish a baseline level of performance and then to test out various practice schedules in the context of learning a new skill, the participants were split into five groups. One group, the short training group, participated for a single uninterrupted 20-minute session per day. Another group, the long training group, practiced for a single uninterrupted 40-minute session per day. A third group, the long break group, practiced for 20 minutes then took a 30-minute break, and then practiced for another 20 minutes each day. A fourth group, the short breaks group, practiced for five minutes, took a six-minute break, then practiced for another five minutes, took another six-minute break, and so on. And then there was a final group, the control group, which didn't get any practice at all. To see how much of their new pitch discrimination skills really sunk in, everyone came back to the lab for a final test about two weeks after their initial baseline test. Well, the short training group did not improve much from day to day, 
and didn't demonstrate a significant improvement from the baseline test to the final test. So at least on this particular task, 20 minutes of practice a day was not enough practice for meaningful long-term benefits. The long training group, on the other hand, did show improvements from day to day and from pretest to post-test. So while 20 minutes may have been too little, 40 minutes was definitely enough for their practice to stick. But here's where things get interesting. Even though we tend to think that practice breaks can be helpful, the long break group did not demonstrate improvements from day to day, nor from the baseline test to the final test. It seems that this was a combination of 20 minutes not being long enough to get the hang of the task, and a 30-minute break being too long, causing them to lose too much before they had a chance to resume practicing. Because even though the short breaks group ended up with 30 minutes worth of break time in their practice session overall, they, like the long training group, also improved from day-to-day and pre-test to post-test. Which suggests that while 5 minutes may not be enough time to get the hang of the task, 6-minute breaks are relatively short, and not so long that they weren't able to resume what they were doing in their practice session, reach a certain minimum learning threshold by the end of the day's practice, and make improvements anyway. It's important to note that pitch discrimination is a type of perceptual learning which is not necessarily the same as learning motor skills or studying for a history exam. So the most direct application of the study would be in a class like ear training, which does involve similar challenges. That said, it does seem like some of the principles could still be applied to practicing, in the sense that a practice often requires discriminating between detailed nuances, not just of sound, but in terms of the movement of our fingers, arms, mouth, and air, etc., which are often incredibly subtle and require a good bit of sensory awareness. As I was writing, my 12-year-old snuck a peek at the study, mulled it over in his head for a moment, and then proceeded to explain to me why I should let him practice Overwatch for longer, uninterrupted periods of time, instead of insisting that he take breaks to do his homework, eat, shower, sleep, walk his dog, and so on. Needless to say, I don't think the takeaway is that we need to engage in marathon practice sessions and avoid breaks during and between practice sessions. I think we just need to be more thoughtful of when to take breaks and how long we make them, relative to where we are in the learning process of whatever we're working on. For instance, let's say you're struggling with a tricky shift and finally get it right. That's awesome, but this is probably not the best time to celebrate by going out into the hall, chatting with your friends, losing track of time, and trying to pick up where you were a half hour ago. This is probably the exact moment where it's critical to keep at it for just a few minutes more to make sure you have a concrete sense of what exact adjustments produce this mini breakthrough in your playing before rewarding yourself with a longer break. In essence, spaced practice may be more effective only after you've reached a certain learning threshold. And so in the early stages of working on something new, it could be better to engage in some massed practice and either A, keep at the skill until you reach this threshold before taking a long break, or B, make sure you keep coming back to the skill, taking shorter breaks until you do reach that threshold. Which of course begs the question, how are we supposed to know if we've reached the learning threshold? Well, that's where things get a little unclear. In this particular study, the learning threshold was at about 40 minutes, but for different tasks and for different people, it could be much shorter or longer. I suspect it's one of those things that happens a bit by feel on a case-by-case basis. As in, if you get to a point where you're like, I think I get it, and you have something tangible you can put your finger on, even if it's not perfect yet, maybe that's enough for you to be able to come back to it later and pick up where you were which is frustratingly imprecise, probably, 
but perhaps part of the art of practicing, monitoring your learning and becoming a better practicer over time.